Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Welcome to Local Church. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here to all my church family in this place, all my church family at Everglades Correctional, and those of you who are at home, I'm so glad that you are with us today. I want to start off by just being a little bit prideful and say that I seldom lose things. I don't know about you, but I don't lose things very often. It is, it, it is very infrequent that I will misplace something. And maybe it's because growing up, my dad was in the military, and so he would always tell us this. I don't know if he got it from the military, but he ingrained in me and my sister this saying, and maybe you know you can say it with me. He would say, there's a place for everything, and everything in its place. And so growing up, we had to put everything, and not in a place, but in its place. The shoes went by the door. The keys went on the hook. You know, your book bag went in the garage. Everything had its place. And so I've been living that since a young boy, and I seldom lose things. Now, my children, on the other hand, they must have gotten this from their mother. They lose, sorry, Jessica. They lose like everything always. I'm using very, very specific words. All the time, they lose things. They'll lose their stuff all over the house. It's like, Dad, where are my, where, where are my shoes? Where's my book bag? Do you see my water bottle? Where's my lunchbox? And I always respond with, did you check where it's supposed to be? Because if you put it where it's supposed to be, you will never lose it. Is it in its place? No, Dad. Then I can't help you because I don't know where it is. I didn't lose it. And I just got so frustrated with them losing their stuff. But when they start losing my stuff, oh, that got me angry. They would lose the remote control often, right? Does that happen in your house? Kids grab the remote control. They do something with it. Then you find it in the refrigerator. One time it was in the laundry hamper. Why is it in the laundry hamper? So I got sick and tired of my kids losing my stuff that I did something about it. I I bought one of these. Anyone know what this is? It's an Apple AirTag. There's a few companies that make different ones, but, but this one I love because an Apple AirTag, there are tens of millions of iPhone users and without your permission, it'll use your phone to find my stuff that my kids lost. And so my kids, this is gonna help me find what you lose. This is gonna help me to find the remote every time you misplace it. So I got this case and I put this underneath the remote. My kids are asking all these questions. Has it worked, dad? I'm like, well, it's Bluetooth technology. Bluetooth technology. What is Bluetooth? And I'm like, I I can't explain to them how this works in a way that they can understand. So I just show them. I said, well, listen, kids, when you lose my remote, here's what happens. I press this button. Starts to ring. It gets louder. It gets louder. And so, and and even that, kids, if if you can't hear where it's coming from, you press find it. And look, I don't know if you can see this. It's two feet away. It's 1.4 foot. Oh, there it is. I found it. Here it is. And so I put this on my remote control so that they wouldn't lose it. And if they did, I would find it. But guess what happened? They still lose it. They leave it in the car. Like, why is it in the car? And it's so frustrating. But this device is really, really, really superb. I I have a Shark Tank idea. It's a little bit early, folks, okay? I didn't get enough sleep last night, so just bear with me. I have a Shark Tank idea. You, you, You get this, and then you get some, like, special elastic bag, little pouch, and you call them AirTag Undies. Not for adults, for little kids, okay? And like you put it in like the back where the tag is and then you'll never lose your kids. If you're at Disney, right? It's a great idea. 
I'll take a special offering. We can all put it together. If we have some engineers, you guys can design it. We'll all make money on Shark Tank together. Listen, let, let me focus. Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter nine. We're gonna read verses 14 and on. You can follow along in your app on the screens. Mark chapter nine, starting in verse 14, it says, and when they came to the disciples, this is Jesus, James, Peter, and John. They came down from the mountain. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed. They ran up to meet him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when they saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Verse 24, immediately the father cried out for the child. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that, listen to this, most of them said, he is dead. Most of them saw him and said, he is dead. But Jesus, I love those two words, but Jesus, but God. Most of them said, most of their opinions was that he was dead, but they don't have the final word, do they? Jesus, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And what we're about to read next is where we're gonna head over the next five weeks together as a church familia. Mark 9, 28. And when they had entered the house, when Jesus and disciples had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. Let me read that again. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, and in parentheses, I put, and fasting. And the reason why it's in parentheses is because in some of your translations, you don't have that word fasting. And we'll talk about that in upcoming weeks, but I want to let you know right on the onset, it doesn't matter that some of your translations don't say fasting. Because what prayer and fasting represent is dependency. Say dependency. We're going to talk over the next five weeks as we head to the day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, our friend, our King Jesus. We're going to talk about the power of prayer and fasting as a means to get us dependent on the presence of God. We're going to surrender. We're going to release to God in our year of release what we think is important, what we think we need, what we think we need to do so that he can release upon us direction of where we need to go. That is dependency. And as we talk about this dependency on the Spirit of God as we release to him what we think is most important to us, I believe God is going to use this to transform us. 
We're not just going to talk about it. We're not just going to talk about what prayer is and why fasting is important. We're going to participate in it together. We're going to come together for 21 days over the next few weeks, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to forsake what we think is important by fasting together. And when we do so, I, I truly believe that this is going to be a time of great spiritual awakening for us as a people. As we fast corporately and pray together and privately, I believe that, that God is going to release things upon us that we have prayed for in our life. I believe that God is going to reveal things to us that, that we've hoped and dreamed and prayed about. That as, that as we release to him in response to who he is, I believe there's going to be an awakening here for many of us as God releases upon us more of his presence. I'm looking forward to what God does as we pray and fast together. But today, as we begin, I've titled today's teaching in this new series called Awakening. I've titled today's teaching, Unbelieve Your Unbelief. I want to talk today about what it means to unbelieve your unbelief. Now, just before this passage we read, we have Jesus with three disciples up on a mountaintop. We talked about this several weeks ago. He's transfigured before them. He starts glowing. The skies open up. They hear the voice of God speak from the heavens saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And they're all excited. They got to be with Jesus. They got to see prophets. They got to see him glowing. And as they make their way down from the mountaintop, what they find in the valley took away a lot of celebration. And that, that's what life is often like. We can move so quickly from celebration to crisis, from, from these incredible mountaintop moments to these low valleys, especially when it comes to things concerning our faith. This is what happened with Moses. Do you remember Moses? He, he, he goes up to the top of the mountain to, to get the commandments from God. And when he comes back down he, from this mountaintop experience, he sees that the people have traded their faith in the God that they couldn't see for a calf that they could see. And Moses was just a shadow of, of the, 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 the real prophet, the son of God. The same thing happened with Jesus. He's up on the mountaintop with his disciples. He's transfigured and he comes down to a commotion. Verse 14 tells us that a great crowd had gathered around the disciples and now the scribes are arguing with them about what happened. And what happened was people were coming so that they could receive healing, they could receive hope. This one specific father of a son who was demon-possessed and was mute and the demon caused all sorts of problems in this young boy's life. He says, I've come to, to, to you and your disciples to heal my son, but they couldn't do it. You have to understand, a few chapters before this, Jesus gives his disciples authority to, to preach the good news that will set them free, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. Mark chapter 6, verse 12. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed many with oil who were sick and healed them. But when it came to this demon, they could not cast it out. Bartholomew laid hands on this boy and the demon wouldn't go. Andrew tried to pray for him and he wouldn't be healed. And we know Judas tried and he failed because that traitor couldn't do anything right, right? <laughs> they tried and, and they're wondering, why can't we cast this out? 
And while this is happening, the scribes and the Pharisees, who always had a, a magnifying glass on Jesus and his disciples, now they're stirring up doubt in the people. Because if you claim to be able to do the impossible, but then you can't do the impossible, doubt is a reasonable response from the crowds. And so the, the, the scribes are instigating all of this. They're saying, well, you, you, you couldn't heal this boy. That negates your ministry. And so as Jesus comes down, he confronts the situation immediately. He casts out the demon. He heals the boy. And then he begins to explain to his disciples why they couldn't do it. Verse 29 again. He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. Now, I want us to understand this today as we head over the next five weeks into a season of prayer and fasting. You need to understand that the disciples, gosh, I'm, I'm doing a double negative in my head. I'm trying to sort this out. The reason, there you go. The reason the disciples couldn't cast out the demon wasn't because, you with me so far? The reason the disciples couldn't cast out the demon wasn't because they didn't pray or fast enough. Okay, but, but I thought we just read that. You need to understand, God wants us to not simply be hearers, but doers of the word. But praying and fasting is not another check off on a to-do list to be right with God. Do you understand that? See, so many of us, we have this mentality, if I just do more, if I would have prayed more, if I would have fasted more, if I would have served more, if I would have come more faithfully to church, if I would have given more, then God would have given to me what I asked for. We have this mentality, if I would just do more, then God would give to me. But the issue of why the demon didn't leave was not because they didn't pray and fast enough. The issue was unbelief. It wasn't that they didn't do all the right things well enough. It was that they were not depending on the power of God within them. It was unbelief. And today, I believe the Spirit of God wants to help us unbelieve our unbelief. I want you to write this down. Unbelief is the primary issue for the lack of power and presence of God in our lives. Primary, the primary issue is unbelief. It's a, the primary issue for the lack of power and the presence of God in our lives. And we'll talk more about this uh, as we continue in this awakening series. But the primary problem was unbelief. And not just for the disciples. You need to understand that. We're so quick. I'm so quick to blame the disciples. How come you couldn't cast out the demon? You guys are foolish. You're walking with Jesus. You couldn't do it. I can't get my kids to put the remote control in the right place. I have no, no, no one to judge in this moment. It wasn't just the unbelief of the disciples. It was this continuing frustration of unbelief. And the focus was the crowds. Again, Mark 9.19. And Jesus answered them. He said, oh, faithless generation. Oh, faithless generation. How long do I have to deal with you guys? The Gospel of Mark uses the word generation five times. And not once is it directed toward the disciples. 
They were not a faithless generation. They forsook their families to follow after Jesus. The faithless generation was the crowds. And we hear this even in the explanation of the father. At verse 18, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes so rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. In his mind is unbelief. The disciples, they've met their match. They may have cast out other demons, but they can't cast this one out. And if they can't have the power to set my son free, then maybe Jesus can't either. Verse 22, he continues. But if you can do anything, he's questioning. He has unbelief. If you can do anything, Jesus, and what does Jesus respond? If you can, basically Jesus is saying, I can do everything. What do you mean if I can do anything? I can do everything. The issue is unbelief. And all throughout the scriptures, God rebukes his people for their unbelief. Numbers 14, 11, he says this uh, to, to Moses about the stubbornness of the Israelites. How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? I've shown my power, I've fed them, I've led them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. I gave them what the from the sky. That's what man is. It's literally translated what the. I fed them. Their, their shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. How long will they continue to not believe in me? And so God sends his one and only son, Jesus, to help us unbelieve all of this unbelief that we have. At the end of verse 23, Jesus says, all things are possible for those who believe, but this father, he's having trouble believing because the disciples failed in trying to heal his son. But the hope is a hope for us. In verse 24, he, he says something that seems very contradictory in, in nature, but, but the more that I've read about it, the more that I've studied it, the more it's become a personal prayer in my life. The more it's be, become something that I say and pray to God that I cling on to. Mark 9, 24, it says, immediately. Say immediately. Immediately, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, and say this with me, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to teach you today that, write this down. There's a difference between having unbelief and being an unbeliever. There's a difference between having unbelief in your life and your life looking like an unbeliever. He didn't say I'm an unbeliever. He says I have unbelief. Here's the difference. To have unbelief is defined as doubt. Questioning the validity of a claim is unbelief. But an unbeliever is someone who is refusing to believe. Do you understand that? Unbelief is doubt. An unbeliever is someone who says, I will never believe that. I refuse to believe that. So I want you to hear this today. Everyone at home as well. This is important for so many of us. If you have doubts in your mind about life and faith and who God is, even if you have doubts, if God can do what he said he would do in his word, it doesn't make you an unbeliever. 
If you have doubts in your mind, it doesn't make you an unbeliever. There's a difference between having unbelief and being an unbeliever. Here's the rest of that point. What we do with our doubts determines the direction we'll go. What we do with, with these questions that we have determines the direction that we will go. He immediately exclaimed where he was at. I believe, help my unbelief, but this unbelief probably took time to build up in his life. I mean, you have to think of this in a relational way. This is not, you know, we are the ones with faith and he's the one without faith and I have no pity on him. How could you not believe? He, he, he has a son who is possessed by a demon that is hurting him that makes him convulse, that's causing him to not be able to speak, that casts him into the fire to cause harm and damage to his body, that tries to drown him. And he's been struggling with this, the father says, since he was a young boy. So maybe for this father, when, when the first symptom that something was not right in his son's life, maybe he believed, maybe he said, it's okay, my God is bigger and he will heal you and he'll help you through this. But what tends to happen is that life layers upon us unbelief over time. He may have believed when he first began, but over time as his son continued to get worse and continued to get injured, unbelief began to pile up. We have God the Father saying, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. This is my son. I love him. And then we, we see this father saying, this is my son. And I love him. And despite what he's going through, I don't see his problems. Underneath all the layers of challenges, I see my son. And God says the same thing to us. Today, under all the layers of unbelief that have piled up over time, under all the layers of sin in your life, God does not see you for your sin. He sees a son and a daughter who his son Jesus has redeemed. Some of you, you think that you are the sum of all your problems. You are not. That's not the identity our Father gives to us. You are not just your problems. You are not just your challenges. And I know, listen, I, I can say that and you can receive that. And so many of us, we give mental assent to that. And we sing our songs and we lift our hands and we praise and we hype ourselves up. And we believe that God loves us or loves people. But if we're honest, a lot of us, we struggle with doubt. We doubt, is that true for me? Is that true for me right now? And the reason we struggle with doubt, even though we give mental assent to God's truth, is because doubt creeps in. It doesn't just show up one day, and you're like, you know what, I don't believe anymore. It creeps in over time. What happens is, life hits us hard doesn't it? And our faith is tested by trials and by tragedy in this life and by turmoil that we experience. And oftentimes it, it just feels like it's a punch in the gut. 
And we say we believe, but we wrestle with doubt when, when, when things like the person that we love leaves us. Why, God? The child that we care for is sick. We get a call from the doctor saying, it's cancer. And now the things that we said we believed God for is being tested. But it's not easy, is it? I want you to hear this. This isn't a rebuke. This isn't, I have faith, you don't. This is the reality of the situation. What happens for so many of us when our faith and our belief in what God says is tested is too often we focus more on the power of the problem we're in rather than going to his presence. This isn't a blanket statement. It's the reality that we focus more on the power of the cancer, the power of the divorce, the power of the bankruptcy, instead of going to the presence of God and letting his power restore and renew us and grow us. So for so many of us, I want you to hear this. It's not that we've lost our faith. It's that we've misplaced it underneath all the layers of unbelief. It didn't get up and just walk away one day and all of a sudden I don't believe as, as life has layered upon us all these difficult situations. Many of us, we've misplaced our faith because we've been focusing on the problem instead of the presence of God. And, and I believe over the next five weeks that this is the beginning of us finding it again. I believe that this is the beginning of us being reawakened to the spirit of God and Pursuing a childlike faith of having dependency on our Heavenly Father once again. And the first step in this happening is understanding this important lesson that Jesus shared in this moment. Here's the next big idea I want you to understand. Owning your doubts doesn't disqualify your faith. Some of you, you doubt right now. But owning those doubts, it doesn't disqualify your faith. See, some of us, we've grown up in some environments where if we talked about our doubts or we talked about our, our, our deep spiritual questions, it, 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 was a, it was a sign to our leadership that we were on a direct path, a spiral straight to hell, right? What do you mean you have questions, it's a stupid question. Where did God come from? You don't need to ask that. Just believe. How, how can, this is perfect. It says what it says. You have questions about it? No, you can't have questions. If you have questions, you are an unbeliever. Just believe. Listen, owning your doubts doesn't disqualify your faith. In fact, one thing that I've learned from my children, when they ask me questions about, about this air tech, I, I can't explain how Bluetooth works. I don't know about near-field communication all that well. But when my kids ask questions, and even when I can't give them the answer to the questions that they ask, you know what it does? It builds dependency. Listen, don't focus on the screens right now. They went out, power outages happen all the time. The Spirit of God wants to awaken us as he awakens those screens. Amen? Amen. The questions that my children ask, it, it, it builds a dependency. They, they know that they can ask me questions because they know I love them. They trust me. 
How much more, Heavenly Father? God's not afraid of your questions. You can ask God your difficult questions about his will and his way. He's not offended by them. He's not ashamed by them. He's not gonna force you just to submit and to surrender. You know, in, in my own struggles with doubt, in my relationship with God, I shared this many times. I won't share too much of it, but I grew up in a church where, where I had to unlearn all the practices that they forced upon us because I didn't see it in God's words. I would ask God these questions about people and, and his grace and his love and I was challenged not to ask the question, just listen to the pastor. I had to deconstruct everything that I had grown up believing but let me tell you, it didn't disqualify my faith. It grew me closer to my heavenly father. When I asked those questions, when I sought after him, when I owned my doubts, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand this in your words. When I owned my doubts, the opposite actually happened. It actually grew my faith. Like the song we sang it helped break down the walls of religion that, that have been built up because of all my time practicing faith outside of the presence of God. I became very religious and not really in a relationship with him. And me asking those questions put me in an authentic relationship with God even though I had doubts. In fact, the Bible is full of people who doubted that had a relationship with God. King David, Moses, Abraham, John the Baptist. Are, are you really the Savior? You're my cousin. Should we seek someone else? They had doubts, but they were in a relationship with God. And when they asked those questions, they grew in their faith. When they surrendered in his presence and not just try to tie everything with a nice bow, they grew in their faith. In fact, God used them to do the impossible. That's what happened with his father. He owned his doubts. He started saying, your disciples couldn't do it. Your disciples couldn't set my son free. Disciples aren't the ones that you should have had your faith in to begin with. Amen? Amen. Can I go on a side tangent real quick? Some of us, we, we've lost our faith because we've placed it in a person and not in the presence of God. The church hurt me. I'm sorry that the church hurt you. But for you not to connect with Jesus anymore because of a person, because of a pastor, because people let you down. I've had a lot of terrible experiences at restaurants, right? Anyone know what I'm talking about? I've gone to some restaurants and the service has been horrible. The food has been gross. It's like, did you only put this in the microwave? Was this frozen? Like, what is this? But I still go to restaurants and I still eat. Do you know why? Because eating is more important. <laughs> I need food to survive. So I'm not gonna stop eating because people in a restaurant left me down. Can I tell you that the presence of God is more important than food? 
I need the presence of God more than I need to consume calories. That's what fasting is. That's what we're gonna talk about today. That's what we're gonna talk about over the next several weeks. But we we have to start by owning our doubts. See, this father, the first thing he did was blame. Your disciples couldn't do it. But he's not gonna get anywhere passing the blame. He had to look beyond all the surface reasons why it didn't happen. He, He had to lift up the pillow cushions. He had to listen to the sound and try to find the air tag instead of saying, I don't know where it's at, I can't find it. Because he wanted results. He wanted his son to be healed. So he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe you can do it, Jesus, but if I'm honest, I need help believing that you can do it. And I I love that prayer. That has become my favorite prayer in the Bible because it seems so contradictory, but it's so honest. It's so authentic. I believe I have faith, but I'm not sure that I have faith. Help my unbelief. We can't be afraid to pray that. We have to stop trying to say all the right things in prayer and, and to, to, to muster up all the courage and faith to say, Lord, I believe you. When inside the reality is we're not sure that we fully believe. It's okay to pray that prayer. We ask God for help in so many different areas that we're not afraid to. We say, God, help my marriage. God, help my resources. Help my children. But when we say, help my unbelief, that's where power comes in. That's where we grow. That's where strength arises. Because when we ask God to help my unbelief, we're not asking God to take us out of the situation. We're asking him to help us to overcome it. I'm gonna go through it, God, but I need you to help my unbelief in this moment to help me overcome it. And I want you to know over the next five weeks, we're not gonna overcome our unbelief by simply coming for an hour once a week or pumping ourselves up and affirming ourselves with positive sayings. If we only do that, we're gonna be left like the disciples and wondering what happened. Why didn't it work? Because we haven't invited Jesus into the, the deepest parts of our pain. We haven't invited him and surrendered and been dependent upon him for everything. This man, he, he, he understands that what is separating his son from being healed or not being healed is his faith. And he's already declared, I don't have a whole lot of faith, but he wants to have faith, but he also wants to be honest. He doesn't want to be fake and say, I'm the perfect follower of Christ. No, he he wants to be honest. And so he prays, I believe, help my unbelief. In essence, he's saying, I have faith, but in the areas that I don't have enough, would you give it to me? Another translation says this, I have faith, help me to have more. The fact that you are here today, the fact that you're online right now, you may may not have faith to move mountains in this moment, but that faith that you have to come here to watch online is enough to move mountains. The fact that you've come and you realize there's something here that I need, it may not be enough for the challenges in your life, but we can ask God, help me to have more faith. I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus is pleased with this prayer. He heals the son. He casts out the demon. He does the impossible. Here's a final big idea that I want you to understand today. Our acknowledgement of inadequacy allows God to work the impossible in our lives. 
We gotta own our doubts. It doesn't disqualify our faith. Even if we doubt, it doesn't mean that we are an unbeliever. It can help grow us. We can ask those questions. We have to own it though. And when we acknowledge our inadequacy, our imperfections, it allows God to do the impossible in our life. And this is biblical. This is true. It begins with salvation, right? Salvation isn't for the righteous. Salvation isn't for the people who think, you know, I never lose my remote and and I never have problems and, and I don't sin. It's not for the righteous. It's for the imperfect. It's for people who are inadequate and say, I know that I can't save myself. I know that I got some issues. I know that I need a savior. If I could have saved myself, I would have done it, but I can't. So I need you, Jesus. And when we respond with that acknowledgement that we need a savior, we get the help that we need forever, amen. 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 And the same truth that we can ask God for his salvation, that we can ask God for, for, for his love for other people that we don't love, but we know that we might be the only GSAC, so God, help me to love them more. And we can ask him when we don't have enough resolve to, to press on, we can say, God, would you give me confidence to go through this? The same prayer that we can pray for all these things is the same prayer that comes to our faith. If we ask God for faith to believe, he will give us more. Even if we doubt, we can ask God for more faith. Listen, if, if we were left to our own faith, we would fail miserably. Our faith is always inadequate. We are but dust, and God is the creator of all things. So our faith is always going to fail. That's why we should have a posture of continuing to be dependent on him for everything, beginning with our faith to please him. That's where it begins today. And that's the difference between unbelief and an unbeliever. An unbeliever says, I don't care about obeying God. I don't care about growing in faith. I have no need for any of that. But someone with unbelief, I want you to hear this they will always get what they need in relationship with him as they ask their heavenly father. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember... You matter to God and you matter to us.